Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 353, chapter 50, Chasing the Wind. I gave my admissions tile to Fella, telling her I hoped it brought her luck, and so the winter term came to an end. Suddenly, three quarters of my life simply disappeared. I had no classes to occupy my time, no shifts in the Medica to fill. I could no longer check out materials from stocks, use tools in the fishery, or enter the archives. At first it wasn't so bad. The midwinter pageantry was wonderfully distracting, and without the worry of work and study, I was free to enjoy myself and spend time in the company of my friends. Then the spring term started. My friends were still there, but they were busy with their own studies. I found myself crossing the river more and more. Denna was still nowhere to be found, but Deoc and Stanchion were always willing to share a drink and some idle gossip. Thrape was there too, and while he occasionally pressed me to attend a dinner at his house, I could tell his heart wasn't in it. My trial hadn't pleased people on this side of the river either, and they were still telling stories about it. I wouldn't be welcome in any respectable social circle for a great long time, if ever. I toyed with the idea of leaving the university. I knew people would forget about the trial more quickly if I wasn't around. But where would I go? The only thought that came to mind was heading off to Yill with the vain hope of finding Denna, but I knew that was nothing but foolishness. Since I didn't need to save money for tuition, I went to repay Devi, but for the first time ever I wasn't able to find her. Over the course of several days I grew increasingly nervous. I even slid several apologetic notes under her door until I heard from Mola that she was taking a holiday and would be returning soon. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. I don't remember Debbie taking a holiday at all. Well, it's not important to the story, but let's let's pick at this a little bit because this this is definitely crackpot territory. Okay. Sure, maybe she's just taking a holiday. Fine. There's no reason not to. She has a stressful life, she has a lot of money, and clearly holidays are a thing that people do in this world. It does seem odd that she would leave without like especially when there's a due date coming up. Um, I guess she wasn't expecting Quoth to to pay off his debt here and now, right? It does kind of suck for Quoth because he missed the opportunity just to like get out of debt. Like that that sucks. I personally I think this is just Rothfuss being like, alright, I need to tie off the loose ends for now, and I don't have time for a scene where he talks to Debbie, so Debbie's just not there. We just won't deal with it. But he also doesn't want him to be able to pay off his loan. Yeah, I think there's that. I forget if he actually pays off his loan right away upon returning, but um, it could also be, as is pointed out in the chat, that there may be some heat on her as a known malfeasance practitioner. Uh, she might be disappearing because the the conversation around Arcanus and malfeasance and like disgraced Arcanus is is heating up. Regardless, it reminds us that other characters have lives. They're not just sitting waiting around for Quoth to show up. They're not like NPC shopkeepers. They're yeah. doing stuff. Um, yeah. But also, like, we know that Devi is after something, and maybe she's going on a trip to do that. Like, the fact that Mola has to say, uh, it's a holiday. Like, it feels to me like it's Mola kind of covering for her friend, and maybe I'm just being suspicious. Maybe it is just a holiday. But also, it's sort of like the, she's on a holiday, don't worry about it, kind of kind of vibe I get from this. I, You know, I, I hadn't considered that until you brought it up, and I think you raised some good points. But... If Devi really is just taking a holiday, then that kind of points out to Quoth that even people who are also driven, hardworking, 
you know, ambitious arcanists take vacations and he's kind of a weirdo for not doing it. Yes. Now he does talk to Devi in this chapter. Thank you, uh, SNC in the chat for reminding us. So it's not like Devi is just fully gone. So then maybe this is evidence that Devi is off doing something and we have to account for her movements later on in the book. Who can say? Who knows anything? Maybe it's just some verisimilitudinous background action. I don't know. We don't know anything. Why are this, we doing this? This, this is <laughs> Well, this page also does, you know, it's see it's verisimilitudinous, our favorite word on this podcast, in that I think a lot of people when they're like, you know, when when a job ends or they're out of school and they don't have anything lined up right after, for the first couple of weeks, I think a lot of people really enjoy the like the freedom of like not having anything to do with your day so you can just kind of like noodle around doing whatever you want and hanging out with people but when your friends go back to school or go back to their jobs or whatever and you don't then you're kind of at loose ends and it and i think for some people it can become uh, a less fun time because now you have nothing to do and no one to do nothing with especially for someone like quoth who is normally a constant doer of things yeah, exactly. He doesn't. I don't think Foth knows how to relax. He definitely needs to get inspired. On the next page, Thrape dangles the Ventus clue in front of him, and then he goes to Ventus. And also, I think once he puts together that the Amir are there, it becomes more worthwhile. Maybe we should pay attention to the people who put in his head that he should go to Ventus. No. Well. <laughs> All I'm saying, all I'm saying, Jeremy, is that Quoth doesn't have this lined up, right? He doesn't have in the chamber, I'll go to Ventus and work for the mayor in order to get access to his resources and uh, his books on the Emir, right? He gets incepted, and it could just be that his contacts talk to him and he puts it together, or it could be that someone is feeding him information because they want him in Vent. Yes, Nick. Good. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> I mean, to me, this just smacks of like the real world phenomenon of like, you know, your friend recommending something and you being like, yeah, sure. Or like, yeah. Or like someone being like, hey, I know a guy who's hiring at this job right now. Maybe you should try applying to this job. You know, that's that's a thing that happens in the real world. But I also can't deny, Nick, the possibility that perhaps, perhaps there is a sinister agency at play. I think Thrape's just trying to help him out. In the real world, we aren't uh, the pawn in the game between two ageless organizations. I mean, you don't know that. Yeah, I'm just going to say, press F to doubt, baby. Do we have any other notes on this page? I am fresh out of notes. Just that uh, I'm being clowned in the chat uh, because it's been pointed out that only Thrape is telling him to go, but he does have several conversations in this chapter, and I wouldn't be surprised if more than one of them are. are I, I just, I just, you know, we're close reading here, so let's let's close read. It seems like right? Nick is committing Quoth's fallacy like of not hearing what he doesn't want to hear, and only hearing what he does want to hear. I think that is a great fallacy to commit. <laughs> you know what? I agree. Yeah, it's very uh, empowering. <laughs> okay. More people should try being pig-headed. It's really great. Uh, do we have a, a, a letter? 
We do not have a letter, so I urge you, the listener, to send us a letter, and we'll read it. Ah! A book almost fell down, and I made a parrot sound. Let's count that out. Cut that out of the episode. Um, I refuse. Okay, we we can maybe toss out a couple of recommendations, or just say this is a short one and and breeze along. Let's let's do recommendations. Okay, I'll recommend a book that I'm rereading now. Um, and it's a book that you've probably heard of. It's uh, a, a little novel by a fellow named John Scalzi called Old Man's War. And it is, shall we say, not a challenging read. It is absolutely like a beach read. It's it's like bubblegum popcorn. Uh, it's a pretty fun military sci-fi book that avoids the like heavier political questions that military sci-fi often often engages with. And in, on this read, I'm like kind of less happy with it because of that, because a lot of the time I really want to like dig into the more difficult questions that uh, that the situation is is bringing up. But it's a fun read. It's it's a pretty, pretty out there space opera. And yeah, if you've if you're just looking for a read in quarantine, that's pretty fun. Uh, Old Man's War. There's several books in the series and they're all quite good. I would hazard that they, I would actually say they keep getting better. Although I found the last one, I sort of rolled my eyes at the last one, which is a uh, an Ender's Shadow-esque retelling of the previous book from another perspective. And so I thought that one didn't really need to be there. But the other ones I think are quite fun. So uh, you could do worse than Old Man's War by John Scalzi. I want to second that recommendation uh, in that John Scalzi writes incredibly readable uh, science fiction that just like, you know, you breeze right through them. They're super fun and engaging. They're real page turners. And Old Man's War, I think you're, you don't want to leave out the high concept premise of it, which is that when in this world, when you reach a certain age, you can volunteer to serve in the Space Navy and they will clone you a body of yourself when you were young, but you'll never be able to return to Earth again. It's as though you died on Earth because you go out into the Space Navy, but you get like a second chance at youth, which I think is a really good high concept premise. And I think so too, but the reason that the military recruits young in the real world is that they're easy to control. So I think it's less, like I've forgotten exactly the reasoning behind it and I need to get there in the book. But I feel like if you're recruiting 75-year-old people who have a lifetime of being opinionated and experiences and questioning things, they would be less effective as a military. But, you know, I'm looking forward to rediscovering why that is the, the choice they made in the book. And as you say, it's a good sci-fi concept. Mm. I want to recommend something that has nothing to do with what you were talking about. Um, Please do. So I would like to recommend a board game. It's a good pandemic board game because you can play it with two people or you can play it with like way more people. I don't know if I've recommended it before, but if I have, I'm sorry. And if I haven't, then excellent. Um, but it is called Tokaido. And it is a fantastic game of traversing the East Sea Road from Kyoto to Edo as a fantastic character of some form that you choose and whatever character you end up with has like different good and bad things that can happen to you as you travel across the road and you get to experience making beautiful panoramic paintings or going to a hot spring or shopping at a fancy shop you get to do all sorts of fun things it's also a very beautiful game all of the all of the artwork is really lovely all of the 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 concept is great also i don't really know how to explain it in a way that like does it justice but it is a very good game so board games play them takaido that's, that's a well. great recommendation thank you 
It's a very expensive board game, but it's, it's worth it. It's great. It's very replayable. I've never played it, but it's a beautiful looking box. Yes, it is a very beautiful <laughs> game, both in its visuals and in its play style. And it's very replayable. Jordana, can you repeat the name of the game? Tokaido. Cool. Uh, have I recommended on the pod the, the current crop of X-Men comics? I think you have, but why don't you reiterate it? Because clearly they're high in, in your esteem. Yeah. I know that I've recommended Cerebro, which is the podcast that got me reading X-Men comics again. Um, so the new X-Men line that's been running since... Uh, I want to say like 2018 or 2019 that starts with house of X and powers of 10 by, but the 10 is an X cause ha ha uh, by uh, Jonathan Hickman and Pepe Loraz starts the sort of new era of X-Men in which Magneto and professor X set aside their differences and create a sovereign mutant nation on the living mutant Island Krakoa, which if you're a real X-Men head, uh, you will remember as the place from which the second Genesis team of X-Men rescued the original X-Men and launched the X-Men reboot, which is way more popular than the original run. So all mutants are welcome on Krakoa. So all the like bat, like the big bads like Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister and Mystique are as welcome on Krakoa as all the sort of heroic mutants and the sort of side characters uh, everyone is granted amnesty. Everyone is granted citizenship. They download their new mutant language into your brain when you arrive. Uh, and they have sort of high science fiction teleporting doors from different places uh, in the world to Krakoa. So it's easy to get uh, get there. But the gates only allow mutants through unless you have special permission as a, as a human being. So uh, it's a commentary on the apartheid state? It's a common. No, well, no, it's a commentary on Israel. Except that, well, yeah, they, that's what I mean. But but one half but, of but, but but the point is, what if you created a minority nation, but you didn't have to displace or colonize anyone else to do it? Right? There's no one living on Krakoa when they go there. They create a nation. Like it's like, what if Israel could exist without displacing all the people who live in Palestine? Which is an interesting question. And the book like foregrounds that by like when Magneto announces this mutant nation to the world, he does it in Jerusalem. So, like, the book is not unaware of the issues it's grappling with there. Uh, and the mutants have decided that they're going to sort of take a new tack. They're going to combine Professor X's more conciliatory approach to humans with Magneto's more radical separatist approach by buying off all the other human nations to, to acknowledge Krakoa as a sovereign nation of its own by saying, look, if you will, like, give us all the same diplomatic rights that you give all the other human nations. We will give you all these life-saving life saving drugs, drugs that cure cancer, drugs that cure Alzheimer's, drugs that prolong the lives of human beings. And we will, we will sell these to you, but you have to acknowledge us as a sovereign mutant nation and allow any mutant who wants to, to leave America or China or Russia or wherever and come to Krakoa. And the other th kind of interesting development is that uh, they have solved basically the problem of, of death uh, because they can resurrect you. Professor X is downloading everyone's minds into Cerebro. And if your body dies, they can create a new body for you and download your mind back into it. Kind of like the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica, uh, which is also sort of a, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the fact that even more than other comic book characters, the X-Men are notorious for dying and coming back to life all the time. So they just sort of hung a lamp on it. 
It's also kind of cool because this new era of comics can acknowledge the the queerness of the X-Men in a way that other comics have not been able to do. Chris Claremont, who wrote the X-Men for 15 years from the 70s to the 90s, really strongly implied that a lot of the characters in his books were bisexual or lesbian uh, or otherwise queer. But he, because of the Comics Code Authority and editorial mandates at Marvel, he couldn't put it on the page. But now they can. And now they're pushing the envelope by strongly implying without outright saying it that everyone on Krakoa is all fucking each other. So like Jean Grey and Cyclops and Wolverine are probably in a beautiful polyamorous triad. And I think that's great. Anyway, it's... I thought Wolverine and Cyclops didn't get along. Well, I do too, but there is an argument to be made that that is all a cover for their simmering, unresolved sexual tension, which is... A Enemies really to lovers, thing. Jordana. Enemies yeah. to lovers. It's a classic trope. That was a thing. It's a classic yeah. trope that people love. Oh man, I just realized what Shira did. <laughs> so, all of which is to say that there's now like five or six different X-books that are all dealing with the the issues that resolve from having this huge nation of superpowered people who are trying to forge a place for themselves in the world. Uh, it's really great. I'm super compelled by it. It's the first time in a long time where I am following regular superhero books. Every, uh, like every single book that comes out in the line, I'm reading all of them. They're all really good. Uh, and I strongly recommend them. So that's the new House of X, Powers of Ten, Dawn of X, Reign of X, X-Men series by Jonathan Hickman and a host of collaborators. Well, it sounds really fun. I feel like there's not a lot of opportunity for conflict. So I would be very interested in seeing how they can wring conflict from that. You and would yeah, be wrong. <laughs> um, Patrick Not Rothfuss asked the same question I have, which is, if I haven't been following the X-Men since the 70s, will I find it completely opaque? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think in some ways it's designed to be kind of like a soft reboot. But I will say that if you are an X-Men fan, there's lots and lots of plot threads that they're picking up and running with. But at the same time, I think if you're only familiar with the X-Men from like the 90s cartoon or pop culture, you'll mostly know what's going on. Uh, And if you don't, then then I strongly recommend a lot of things. But listening to the Cerebro podcast and reading some of those classic 70s and 80s stories is actually well worth your time. Or Google it. You know what? I'm going to strongly recommend against against like googling it because you'll come up with the Wikipedia article for a character and they are baffling. They're like they're they actually make things worse, not better. If you're curious about a character and you want to know more, go listen to the Cerebro episode about that character because he does a really good job of condensing their history into something that's followable and explaining like so the sort of important beats you need to know. Well, hey, I'm, I'm I'm really trying hard not to riff because we've already gone pretty long on this X-Men tangent. You can riff off the air, Nick. Uh, I have something else I want to talk about off the air, so <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. All right, let's call it there. Um, recommendations have been the board game Tokaido, the novel Old Man's War, and the X, it's raining X hallelujah line of comics from uh, Marvel. We'll see you tomorrow for another page of the Wave. Wave.